So I'm going to try and speak from here this morning. Is that okay? So I'm a little bit closer to you. Um, As Chris said this morning, we are, um, this is a really special Sunday morning. Um, It's the first Sunday of the year. So um, Happy New Year to everyone. If we haven't got to say that to you yet, it's great to um, start off the new year together. And not just the new year, but as we've talked about a new decade. Somebody texted me yesterday and said, we're now as far away, 1990 is as far away in the past as 2050 is in the future. Which is a pretty scary thought, isn't it? <clears throat> but particularly if you were born before that, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, but you know, t- time you know kind of moves on, doesn't it? It doesn't really wait for us in some ways, and yet, you know, time—well, not time—can be a healer, but God using time can heal our hearts around the things that we've been through and in and in through over the last number of years. But <clears throat> this is the first time after 23 years of being involved in the manual, obviously. Um, being around pretty much from the start in Lurgan and stuff as well. And then as we've uh, planted Portadown and joined together, um, this is the first Sunday we've done what we're calling Covenant Sunday. And uh, and so that feels very special, very fresh and very new for, for me and for us. We, we've done things like that, I suppose, in the past. Um, and so as Chris said at the start, if you just come in and you're a visitor, hopefully you can understand what we're doing this morning. And please don't feel any sense of pressure um, as we break bread later, although you're welcome, more than welcome to do that with us this morning. But um, let me just share a little bit. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more, um, a little bit more about vision on the 12th of uh, January, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of the things that God's put in our heart over the next wee while. But um, this, we feel we want to just almost set apart this morning. Um, Over in Lurgan, they're doing a similar thing this afternoon. They're meeting for just a special one-off kind of service to um, talk about Covenant Sunday and about committing our hearts to Jesus afresh and to one another in what we like to call covenanting community. Um, And so I'm going to split up what I say this morning into three sections. Just really quickly, we're going to try and be done here for about 25 to 12 so that we can have a good time to come around the table together and respond to what the Lord's saying. But I want to talk about covenant community. That's what I'm going to spend most time on and just quickly cover the way of the community and the structure of the community, which is the same kind of format that was in the little booklet that was sent out to you. <clears throat> so let me talk about covenant and community, first of all, the kingdom family. I know I know you might be questioning, or maybe you're unaware, maybe you've never heard this phrase before, or maybe you have heard it before, and it all seems maybe slightly weird. Um, maybe your question is, is this not a bit too serious, a bit too intense um, to be talking? Do we not just keep it simple and come to church and do the business sort of thing. And, um, and and so I want to just take a moment to answer that question, if that's rattling around your head, with a kind of yes and a no. First of all, a no. It's, it's not serious in the sense of uh, some weird kind of secret society, if you like, that we're trying to create, right, when we talk about covenant community. Because uh, the world has kind of stolen the idea of membership, of community, um, the principalities and powers, if you like, have stolen the the true alternative community that God wants to create in and of Himself uh, through all sorts of weird things like blood covenants and secret handshakes and da da da. Okay, and as I said last week, so when we're talking about covenant community, we're not talking about some kind of cult you're joining. We're not talking about some heavy-handed controlling group where. We're all going to control each other's lives. You're not signing up to a particular political ideology. You're not following one leader. Um, the leader in all of this is Jesus. Right? So you're not following 
one person's theology or one person's kind of dictatorial kind of mandate. You know, that's not what a covenant community is in the Bible. Biblical covenant community is based on love, sacrificial love. It's based on the love of God. <clears throat> and if maybe you don't know this today, or maybe you've been a Christian for years and never really grasped this, the love of God is the most freeing, liberating, releasing reality that you can ever know. It will not bind you. Every other force in this world, and in fact, every other love that takes the place of Jesus, it will eventually bind you. <laughs> right? It will bind you. Those of us who have loved, you know, the kind of typical thing is the sort of teenage falling in love, and you, you, you know, you, you might well be in love, or at least you think you are, you know what I mean? But sooner or later, you feel bound. That's the love of God never binds you in that kind of controlling way or in that manipulative way. The love of God frees you and releases you to be the person that you were always created to be. And so when we talk about covenant community, it's really, really important that you understand that that is based on covenantal, the love of God that frees and releases you to become everything that you were bound to be. And there's nothing secret about it, by the way, right? God's love is shot through with light. It's the purest light that you can ever imagine. So there's nothing secret. There's nothing dark. There's no guile in it. There's nothing controlling in it. At least it shouldn't be, which is why it's so important that leaders of those communities keep their hearts ridiculously pure <laughs> because once they become anything but that, they start to become weird and they start to become things that damage people rather than release people into who God's created them to be. And so essentially when we're talking about covenant community, we're talking about family. Right? We're talking about family, and we're talking about family in God's eyes, because family, like all our Bible words today, have been a bit corrupted by the world. We're talking about family in God's eyes, and we believe it's what the New Testament tells us, and as the New Testament unfolds, a loving community is what it shows us that is God's heart, a loving community of deep commitment, of deep devotion, and of deep connection is what God's desire is for humanity. It always has been. And so the theology of that is that through the blood of Jesus— shared on the cross for us, that the Holy Spirit has poured into our hearts the love of God, Romans 5, 5, right? The love of God has been poured into our hearts because of the blood of Jesus, what he's done. And that love will overflow, should overflow, into deep, loving, binding connection with one another, right? So, uh, you know, in the back of my head, I'm hearing the mission praise, yeah, bind us together, Lord, bind us together <laughs> with cords that cannot be broken. And um, and sometimes, like, you know, the little riffs kind of we laugh at. But there, there was some decent theology in those songs, you know, and because that is what actually happens. We're being bound together. And what I want to propose to you then, I have played in some, re re well, in Northern Ireland, case, relatively, like, kind of good sports teams, right, with some relatively really good spirit. And I'm telling you, there's a great feeling when, like, spirit and camaraderie is, is, is developed, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. If it's good, it drives you on to get some really, really good results. If it's bad, it, uh, it's really bad and can damage a lot of people. And so God, but what I want to propose to you today, there's nothing like the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that binds his people together in a community that looks like Jesus. There's nothing like that. And, uh, and so, 
I'm saying no, it's not too serious from a kind of weird, perverted, corrupted understanding of community. But is it, a, is it a serious thing in a holy, awe-inspiring way? Yes, it is. Because it challenges us to give up our own loves, to give up our own selves, to give up our own agenda, to enter more fully into the love of God, which is sacrificial, laying down of our lives. And so, for those of us who have had the privilege of going into marriage, we would have been, uh, the minister might have said something like this just before he did the vows, you know, a, a schedule has been agreed, um, something along the lines of the legalities, and then it'll say something like, and, sh- and so this should not be entered into lightly. Because there's a holiness to the vows that we kind of were about to take. And it's kind of that sort of thing that we co- when we come together as covenant community, which is why we've asked you to be prayerful about this, to pray your heart for this, because we want to recognize that we are laying something down. It's more than just we're coming to church because we're getting something out of it. We really hope you do, and you should. But over and above that, the the mature thing to do is to move beyond what we get to think about what can we give, what can we lay down, how can we enter in. And so, in a sense, we follow Jesus into his death in order that we might experience his life. And... um, and this is like, you know, I know we, and even, even in the church today, the way that we all want to develop and grow is often just purely about me and my own kind of spiritual gifts and my own development, my own path. But the most mature thing that we can actually do to become more like Christ is to lay something down, is to give ourselves to people that look different than us, come from different backgrounds, earn different salaries you know, believe maybe in certain other things, whatever it might be, but God wants us to kind of lay stuff down in order to give ourselves to Him and to one another. And so part of it conflicts with our hearts and our, our, ourselves and where we want relationships with our own terms. And so I, I believe today, as simple as this morning is, right, it is radically countercultural, radically. Like, just zoom out for a moment and think about the world that we're living in at the moment. It's just thinking about it. just felt like even during worship, the fragility of the world that we're living in right at the moment. You know, just globally, you know, countries bombing other countries again. Talk of wars. Talk of all of that things. And some kind of Christian language getting caught up in it, right? And yet, God is calling us to be and to look like something different to the world. A community that's based not on revenge and not on flexing their muscles and not on looking the strongest, but look, a community that looks like sacrificial love. A community that looks like Jesus. A community whose power looks like the cross. <laughs> right? It's deeply countercultural. And so we're going to come around to communion today and we're doing something that's radically different from the way the systems of the world work. And... Um, and so, you know, the Bible continues to remind us that if we could have we we could have it all in terms of like a brilliant new building, which we hope we will have. We could have, you know, you know, an amazing sound system and wonderful lights and brilliant, you know, we could have all of that. We could even have brilliant prophetic ministry. But if we don't have love, we're just a big clanging gong. Yeah, we're just hollow. Yeah. And so this is potentially, let me propose, this is potentially maybe the most important Sunday in our journey together to date. This is 
because what, what we're doing here is a holy, holy thing. And so let me just try and define this a little bit further before we get a bit more practical. I like this from Scott, Scott McKnight. He says, covenantal love is a rugged commitment to be with someone and for someone onto divine ends. Let me just break that down, the underlying bits. Rugged commitment. I've just um, stolen the Jesus Storybook Bible, little quote for how it describes God's love. And it's the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That, that's what rugged commitment is. It's, um, it's often anything but a happy relationship every day of the week. Let's get real about it, right? It's often anything but a happy relationship every day of the week. Sickness and health. When it's going well and when it feels like our lights are about to go out. This is what covenantal love is. This is why we have to fight for our for the love word. <laughs> All right, you've heard me kind of rant and rave enough when, it, when that when we talk about things like Love Island on TV, right? For goodness' sake, you know what I mean. Even the thought of putting that word love alongside what that means, it, like it makes you feel sick in your stomach, doesn't it? Right? I'm not saying that means it's, uh, you can never watch it. I'm just saying, let's not be deceived about what love as Christians as followers of Jesus, really, really means. It's a rugged, rugged commitment. There's nothing superficial about that kind of love. There's nothing aesthetic. There's nothing, you know, it's, it's, it's a rugged commitment. That's what Jesus showed us. That was a kind of, this is a rugged commitment, isn't it? This is a rugged commitment. So it's, um, it's that. It's to be with someone. This is the principle of presence. God dwells with his people, right? A rugged commitment to be with someone. God is, isn't it, isn't it lovely that God is, is, is withness, if that's a word, right? Because God doesn't shout down from heaven and say, here, I'm, I'm going to try and help you out down there. He, he comes down and come to, to be with us. And so when we, um, when, we, when, we, when we come around the table and we remember that we are in covenant, we're, what we're doing is we're committing to be with one another. Now, let's get really practical about this. And I, I don't mean this in any way to sound like um, a, a guilt thing. Please don't let me. But sometimes it feels easier not to be here, not to be with one another. It just feels easier to stay at home or to go and play golf and say it's church because you're all Christians. That's church on your terms. That's, you know, so I, I know I'm, this is the challenge of covenant. And sometimes I don't want to come. But I realize that covenantal community is to be with, to be with one another. God was with us. That's why Paul said, don't forsake the assembling together of the bread. Don't forsake it. Be here. Be with one another. And not just here on a Sunday, by the way. It's not just about the Sundays, as you know. But be with. Be with one another. And, and through being with one another, be with the world. Be for, be for someone. So, so the, the phrase was just love is a, covenant of love is a rugged commitment to be with someone and for someone. So, so with someone is the principle of presence. For someone is the principle of advocacy. I am for you. God, God said to his people, I am for for you. A covenantal community is for one another. They've got each other's backs. 
which means they don't stab one another in the back. Can I put an invitation to us as a church? Can, can we as a church go hard on gossip? Could we be that kind of a people? Could we like kick it out the door before it ever gets a route? Could we be that kind of a church? Could we give each other permission that when we think that we're entering into that, to just gently push back and say, I'm not sure we should be talking like this. Could we be that kind of a community that actually just like kicks gossip out? Because covenantal love is for one another. It thinks the best. Love thinks the best. It thinks the best. And so let's be a people that are for, for, for one another. Championing one another into all that God called us to be. Christians have a lovely way of talking about gossip like it's a prayer point. Yeah? We're not gossiping, it's just a prayer point. The fact that you've just said that, you know, probably gets you to that place. Now, I'm not saying that everybody, you know, you can't have a good garn and moan at some point. Like, we all need that, right? And I need that as well, right? So, I'm not trying to say that we can never feel upset and annoyed and need to talk something out. Of course we, but, you know, we all know, we're all mature enough to know there's a way to do that, isn't there? There's an appropriate way to have that conversation. And if you feel at any time, a a good exercise is when you feel at any time that has slightly moved into a place of negativity, about something or someone else, finish the conversation by praying for that person. And just say, God, if there's anything in my heart that I just said there that wasn't right, God, I just lay that down, forgive me. And, you know, if we create a culture like this, right, that if we create a culture like this, it'll stick. We just weren't allowed to gossip. It's one of the things that I used to drive me insane as a teenager growing up. But in my house, my mom just didn't let it into the house. And every time I wanted a good gripe and gurn about somebody, she just like knocked it on the head. Let's pray for that person. And I was like, but mom, they're really annoying me. I know, but let's just pray for that person. But I need you to hear this. Okay, okay well, let me hear it. And then let's just pray for that person. And f- before you know it, if, and, and, and over and over again, we used to hear, if you've not got anything good to say about somebody, don't say something at all. Over and over and over again. And then it just sticks. And then you grow up and you realize, oh, not everybody was taught this, <laughs> you know. So, so let's be not just with each other, but for one another. And then finally, on to divine ends, right? F- to be with someone and for someone on to divine ends. That's kind of like a shared mission in the things of God, yeah? That's facing the same direction together. That's having a sense of purpose and having a sense of shared mission in order to glorify God. That we're aligned, we're one in heart, we're one in mind, we're one in spirit in order to glorify God. So uh, we want to align with his heart. This is the essence, I believe, of covenant and community. And the reality is, the, is as we lay stuff down, there's greater joy and purpose that we find. Because what we start to realize is that the very purpose of our being is to be in relationship to God and to be in this kind of a community. And if we can just continue to commit ourselves to creating this kind of community, it's the best mission statement to the world. And the early church looked like this, and people on the outside wanted because God has always longed for this kind of family. God didn't create the world, and Jesus didn't come to die on the cross just to create like a fan base. He didn't come to create just some like we group. He, he came because he wanted a family that looked like the family he's part of, and that on the earth we would be the extension 
of that family. And so Jesus, as he remembered the, the Passover with his disciples, and without getting down a whole kind of bunny trail, which I'd love to go down this morning, the, the Passover represented all the old covenants that God had made with his people when he'd rescued them. But Jesus comes and he sits with his disciples and he says this, in the same manner or the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, look, this cup is the new covenant. This is a Bible word. Right, this is the new covenant in my blood, not in anybody else's blood anymore, but in my blood, which is shed for you. Something new is happening in Jesus. This covenant that God has always wanted is now sealed with his own blood. The old covenants, which kind of we had to do something um, with in order to try and fulfill a law and our own attempts to kind of make peace with God. Now, God sends His own Son, Jesus, who is a perfect sacrifice, spotless Lamb of God, that through His own blood, the seal of the promise that He's making with us is through His own sacrifice, through His own blood. It's really, really powerful, and it's really, really beautiful. And the implications of that are not that we've been welcomed into this family now, but now we start to create and join up with others to be that kind of a family on the earth. And so in, that's Luke's gospel. In John's gospel, it says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. How did Jesus love us? He died for us. He gave himself for us. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. It's becoming obvious, you see, that Jesus didn't just die for my sins individually, just so I didn't have to go to hell. He did do that. I'll be forever grateful and thankful. Sing his praise because of that. But when you start to really look at the Bible, you see that Jesus came to create on the earth what he knows in heaven, which is a family of people that live and love like he does. And he wanted to die for the whole world so that he could have a family that could enjoy and reflect him on the earth. Let me just read this quote before we move on. According to Romans 5, which I mentioned earlier, the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This love draws together what was separate and apart. Like we were separate and apart. Some of us didn't know each other four or five years ago. This is the beauty of the church. We were who were separate and apart. Now, apart from God, first and foremost. But then we've, we've come into Him, and then we've come into relationship with one another. And it creates atonement or at-one-ment. If you break the word atonement down, which is the sacrifice of Jesus, you get at-one-ment. Because we're in Jesus, we're, we're one in Him. It is the bond of peace which we are to strive to hold fast to. We're loved by a father and we're formed in a family. And that's our great desire for you. And so we see this most vividly in the book of Acts, where Luke presents to us the church as a kingdom family, people who were devoted to one another. We've looked at this word koinonia, which is a stronger word than the English translation fellowship. We are bought together in the blood of Jesus for a common enterprise, a deeply shared passion, a collective mission. And if we do that, we realize that we will become a witness to the world. This is what covenant community is all about. Amen? Good. You sure you're with me? Yeah? The way of the community. I just want to quickly say this because we may talk a little bit more about it. 
we've we've preached every love looks like something, and um, every family has a particular set of family traits, and the family of God should have a family trait, a loving commitment that actually looks like something. Love, love looks like something. It's the way we walk, and it's the way that we talk, and so. It looks like, you know, for us, our core values are loving God, loving people, loving the world. Our uh, six practices, which we've taught through, the ways that we <clears throat> express the three core values, that we believe in a Jesus-like way, and we believe these six practices help describe the kind of community that, want, that we want to become. These are, if you want to put it like this, these are our rules of the game, right? This is how and the way that we walk and the way that we talk that help show what the community that we want to be part of really looks like. And we have a shared mission together to help rewrite the story of Kurgavan, Ireland, and the nations with the good news of the kingdom of God. This, we believe, is our shared mission. This is us on to divine ends for the glory of God together. And then finally, the structure of the community. How is the family ordered? And the New Testament is um, really good at helping us understand how um, how the community is ordered, because hopefully, hopefully, as wonderful as I've tried to make the covenant community sound, you know, the, the practicalities of how people live and get on are really, really important. And um, and so we find in the book of Ephesians this scripture, which is a key scripture for how a church is founded or planted. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So Jesus is the cornerstone. His practices, his ways, his teachings, his life are what we line up against. And the apostles and prophets are people that God has given grace to in order to ensure that his ways are established as the foundations of the local church. In him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives. The Apostle Paul was given by way of revelation, by way of revelation, right? That just, just dock that, by way of revelation. There was no kind of formula, no manual. By, by Holy Spirit revelation, he was given wisdom in how to order the household of faith. And so throughout the New Testament letters, we see how he did this. And we, all of what we've been talking about, this is all foundation-laying stuff. The way that we're trying to teach you, like we, 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 we could teach all sorts of things, and, and we will in days ahead. But first and foremost, it's really important that we lay the right foundations, prophetic foundations. So we need to hear from God. We need to hear from God again. We want to lay prophetic foundations. We don't want to just copy, you know, what the best-looking churches on the Internet tell us we should be, right? We want to hear God for ourselves, for the place that He's called us to plant church. And so that's why we're fasting next week, because we need to hear from Him again. We need prophetic foundations, right? And then we need apostolic foundations. We need to architect and to shape and to establish the church in and on the Lordship of Jesus. And so we, um, part of the key way that we do that is establishing leadership, and go- godly leadership. 
And, but it was leadership with a twist, not leadership like we know today, leadership that looks like Jesus. Leadership that served others and equipped the body to become this household that God is building. And so as uh, elders, leaders in this house, this is, this is our desire. First Peter says, be shepherds of the flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Leaders are called to lay down their lives for the body of Christ. So there is, we believe, a really high bar when it comes to leadership in the local church. And hopefully, by God's grace, we're doing our best to be that. But one of the first questions that we ask when we think about people coming on to leadership is, over and above, over and above their uh, character, which needs to be worthy of imitation, like you'd like to be like that person because they look like Christ. A question after that is something along the lines of what do we feel their pain threshold is? Because it's going to take everything. Because it took everything for Jesus. And so, uh, you know, that's why leadership in the body of Christ, in different forms. Such a high call. And so, just a few things to say before we close this up, a few practical things. As a leadership, we believe there are different gifts. And so, it's just important that you know these practical things if we're, if we're covenanting together. We believe there are different gifts, different graces, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, passed out by Christ to equip the saints in their devotion, in their desire to see God's kingdom come, and in their love for Jesus. <clears throat> Leaders just don't take the spiritual temperature, we always say. They help set it. We feel like that's part of our responsibility. Discernment, that we discern the voice of God and how he's speaking in and through the body, that we keep the church true to the doctrine, true doctrine, that rightly handle the word of truth, call out false teaching when we feel we need to do that, discern the spirits that are at work in the body, keep the church true to the apostles' doctrine, which is what the early church did. Discipleship. Leaders need to have a proven track record in discipling other people into Christ-likeness. Other people have become more like Jesus because they've been in, in leaders' lives. That's what we feel is, our, is our, our responsibility and to bring the necessary godly discipline when it's needed. And finally, to help set the direction of the church, to help set the vision for the church, to help ensure that we know where we're going. And so as leaders in a mind, I'm speaking on behalf of the guys, I'm so privileged to lead with the other, the rest of the, the leaders here with Chris and Debbie and Stephen and Bruno. And um, it's, is, it is really, really an awesome, awesome privilege for us, which we don't take lightly. We're going to have to stand before the Lord, remember, one day and give an account for how we led, how we eldered. So it's like a holy, awesome kind of responsibility. We, um, we'd love you to pray for us. We're not perfect. As I said last week, we probably will let you down at some point. I've probably already let you down at some point. And all, all we can say for that is when we do that, we're really, really sorry. It's not our intention, but we're human beings that we hope by God's grace can look more and more like Jesus in order to serve the people well here. The responsibility of people to the elders, though, the Bible's quite clear that the church has a responsibility to, to leadership. It's that we would pray for the elders, is that we wouldn't charge an elder hastily without wrongdoing. Be careful of that one. Just be careful that you don't get into, like, it's not to say that leaders don't need challenge sometimes. Of course they do. And there's an appropriate way to do that. And it's not that they're above reproach. 
because sometimes they, they need to be challenged, and, and rightly so. But just be careful in your conversation that you don't charge an elder hastily with wrongdoing. Practically support the elders, esteem them highly, and be in the right kind of submission to leadership that our hearts are aligned. Someone once said, if you want a vision for your life, start off by going and serving someone else's. Because the process of harnessing and discipleship is really, really important in order to become more like Jesus. I could go into those, but I don't want to take too much more time. And then just finally, the responsibility of all of us who go along. The New Testament, what the New Testament is trying to get at is mutual submission, that we submit to one another, that leaders serve the body of Christ, lay down their lives for them, that the, that the body of Christ respect and honor and align themselves to the vision set by the leaders, and then together we all mutually submit. And so just in four quick, in four quick slides, first and foremost, to protect the unity of the church, by refusing to gossip, by acting in love toward everyone, by forgiving one another by not criticizing or condemning one another. We protect, we strive for the bond of peace, all scriptures beside them, to share in the responsibility of the church's mission, to pray for its growth. That's why corporate prayer is so important, actually, because I, I find it hard to pray and to intercede as much as when I'm on my own. I find it much easier to do it when I'm together. Yeah, And so we come along together and we pray for its growth. We pray bringing in those who don't yet know Jesus by being committed to the church family and by welcoming those who visit to serve in the ministry of church, to serve one another, get stuck in and be involved by discovering gifts and talents, by desiring a servant heart, and by exhorting one another. And then finally, to protect the ministry of the church, to attend our gatherings, to be, to be together, to live a holy and blameless life, to, to give financially into the body of Christ. It's just, a, it's just a fundamental scriptural kind of principle. And by not going to law with one another, by trying to work out how you sort out your differences without having to go before worldly kind of courts. This is all kind of biblical, New Testament, how we look like Jesus. And so <clears throat> the reality is, as we prepare to come to the table, God is calling us to something very holy and something very, very beautiful. And uh, we may even sense as we go through this an element of the fear of the Lord. And that's a good thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But maybe you were asking the question like, you're, like I am, can we live up to this? Can I live up to this? Can, because we've learned in following Jesus in all of life theme that it's a high call. It's to be like him. It's, it's everything. But fear not. Because the reality is Jesus believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. He believes that we can be like him more than we think that we can. And he pours out immeasurable, boundless grace for us to do it. He knows our hearts. And James tells us, I love this scripture, even when our hearts condemn us, God is bigger than our hearts. Isn't that beautiful? Even when our own hearts make us feel like we can't do it, God is bigger than our hearts. We're not perfect. We're broken people. We're not going to always get it right. We're going to have differences. We're going to have um, things we're going to need to chat through. We're going to um, maybe even fall out the odd time. Let's be quick to be the people of God who take responsibility, who say sorry, who work through forgiveness. Let's give the same grace that he gives for us to one another. And so as we take bread and wine, well, juice, which reminds us of the blood of Jesus now, let us deepen, let us expect it in faith to deepen our love for one another. But let's remember that we're not superhuman. We're not the perfect group of people and we never will be. 
but he is calling us to more. Sometimes, you know what you have to do? You just have to slay your wish dream of the church. You just have to slay your ideals of all that you'd love it to be. You just need to get involved. I love Bonhoeffer in this, and with this I'm closing. He says, he says this, I always go back to this. Every time I feel, and I'm a leader of the church who love it with the whole my life, but every time I feel like the church lets me down, if that's the way to put it, I go back to this. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. That's profound there. Those who love their dream of what church should be more than they love the actual people become destroyers of the Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God by others and themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law, and they judge one another and God accordingly. It is not we who build. Christ builds the church. When a person becomes alienated from a Christian community in which he is placed and begins to raise complaints about it, he had better examine himself first to see whether the trouble is not due to his wish dream that should be shattered by God. If this be the case, if God has shattered your dream of what church should be, let him thank God for leading him into this predicament. But if not, let him nevertheless guard against ever becoming an accuser of the congregation of God. Challenging, challenging words to slay our ideals and to be the people of God by his grace, becoming more and more like him, ever deepening in love for one another. So what we're going to do now is we're going to give you out. We're going to, if you would like to, and there's no pressure to do this, particularly if you're new, we're going to give out. Uh, uh, Jason's going to pass out, uh, and the guys are going to pass out a prayer which we're going to say together, but we have it printed out. The kids are going to come back in in these, in these moments. But just as the kids come back in and as the band get ready to play, just the, the sheet that is being given out, and hopefully we can get you some pens, um, or you can share some pens or some pens in the little envelopes that are around. But just as those sheets come around, now I know some of us who have been part of the journey for a bit longer have, have prayed a prayer similar to this before, but we'd, um, we'd just love to, to do that again more, more formally today, and for those of you who have joined the journey later, later on. And so um, kids are going to come in, and it would be great if they could just sit with their parents, if that's, if that's okay, because we're going to try and do this as families together. So it's good, that you, it's good that you just actually know that in kids this morning, they've been talking about family. They've been talking about what we're doing today so that they can participate as well. We kind of figured, as you'd expect, it'd be hard for them to listen to me for 35 minutes. So uh, we've, let, we've, let, we've let them talk about it on their terms. <laughs> If you need a pen, just stick your hand up. Jason's got a pen. You just share it.
Okay, this is what I'd love you to do. Just as we sit here and as the band play, just as, as families, we're going to stand and say this prayer together. But if you just want to read it on the page in front of you, it's actually also on the screens here now. But if you'd like to read it, in the we'll stand in a wee moment, sorry. Um, but what I would love you to do is just where you're seated, just if you're happy to sign that, we'd love you to sign it. Um, and then we're going to say it together. As I say, there's no pressure in this whatsoever, particularly if you're a visitor with us. But um, you can be here for the first time and, and, and love what you're hearing and sign this. Absolutely, we love that. But um, the reason we're just asking you to, to sign that now is because we're going to ask you to bring that to the front in a moment uh, as we take communion. Okay, so... Um, <clears throat> We're going to do in a moment. It's going to start, ask you to stand in a moment. We're going to pray this prayer together, and then we're going to encourage you to come as families. Um, as uh, when it comes to communion, we we leave that up to parents. If you feel like you have explained um, to your children what communion is about, and that they have an adequate grasp, no matter how childlike it is, to um, to take communion, not like my son. <laughs> um, then. Um, <laughs> Okay, so if you feel to have an adequate grasp of what communion is all about, then um, please feel free to break bread with them. Um, what we'd love you to do as you come to get communion, there's, there's little baskets at the front here, so if you'd fold up the sheet, if you've been happy to sign it and put it in these baskets as you come as a sign of commitment, it's before the cross, and it's the kind of love that we want to commit to. And then uh, we'd love to encourage you to take, take um, communion together as families. We'll put it right at the front because we'd love everyone to come to the front together as a family. And, um, and then, we're, then we'll, we'll, we'll worship a wee bit to finish, okay? So let's stand together if you're okay. Can we stand together? Um, you can either read it off your sheet uh, if that's too small for you on the, on, on the screen. We'll take it... Um, We'll take it relatively slow, but let's um, let's say it with um, let's let's say it with passion this morning. Can we do that? Let me just pray before we do. Holy Spirit, we just I just want to thank you, God, for your love, Jesus. Jesus, I want to thank you for your blood that saves us, and I want to thank you for your blood that makes us one with you and with one another. And Jesus, I just want to thank you for this church family. I want to thank you for the journey that we've known to date. I want to thank you for the people that you've brought into our lives. I want to thank you for the gift that we have become to one another. And Jesus, even as we just stir our hearts now to say this prayer together, we pray that your kingdom, O oh God, would come more fully in our lives. And that, Lord, that you would establish your plans and purposes in our hearts. For your sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, after three, let's pray this together. One, two, three. As a follower of Jesus, I affirm my commitment to the Lordship of Christ and His kingdom. I believe the Spirit has drawn me to the local body of believers at Emmanuel Church, Portadown. And as Jesus taught us, I want to covenant myself to Him and my brothers and sisters in this church family. I, or we as a family, are making a decision of the heart to plant roots here. With the help and power of the Holy Spirit, I recognize that I am a vital part of this body 
and by God's grace will strive to fulfill my unique contribution to the health and flourishing of this local church in its vision to fulfill the Great Commission. Though not perfect, I recognize those God has appointed as leaders of this household of faith and choose to pray, support, and bless them as they seek to equip the body for the work of the ministry and shepherd the flock. By your grace, I strive to pursue the bond of peace and love my brothers and sisters in words, speech, and actions. It's my desire to follow Jesus with all of my life and to respond with a wholehearted commitment to Emmanuel Church, Portadown. I believe this is the Father's goodwill for my life. I give my yes to Emmanuel Church's vision and leadership through my words, service, and giving. Amen.